time. Actually, I think this is my 67th message on this thing, so we got a few more to go. Um, but you know, when Jesus began his ministry three, three and a half years prior to him dying on the cross, he started on the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he called Peter and James and John and Andrew, and he starts doing ministry, and then all of a sudden more people start to gather, and throughout his ministry, Jesus had thousands upon thousands of people following him, and um, thousands of people calling him, saying they were disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, but when it was all said and done at the cross, and I said this last week, who can tell me? How many followers or disciples of Jesus were left at the cross? Not Roman soldiers, but just disciples, people who called themselves a follower of Christ. How many people were left at the cross? Who, who remembers that number? Nope. More than two. More than three. More than four. What's after four? Five, okay? In fact, if you read John chapter 19, verse 25, here are the five people. Mary, the mother of Jesus, her sister, a woman by the name of Mary. All the Marys showed up. Another woman by the name of Mary who was married to a dude by the name of Clopas. And then there was a Mary Magdalene, those four women. And then there was one disciple, John. Now, that would be the number that Scripture in John 19 gives us. But today, I want to show you there were two more disciples. Two more disciples that um, don't get a lot of flair in the, in, the, in the Easter story. Two more disciples that, unfortunately, their account gets kind of the flyover when it comes to the Easter story. And if you will look with me, I want to read our text, and we're going to see who these two disciples are. And so starting in John chapter 19, verse 38 through verse 42, it says this. After these things, the, the, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So there was one disciple. And so he came and took the body away. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixer of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now in this place where, it was, where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, there's two more disciples there. Now, here's the thing about this portion of Scripture. Four verses, okay? Um, these four verses get the fly over a lot, all right? How many of you uh, in an Easter message have heard these four verses ever preached? How many of you ever heard me preach these four verses? In 22 years, I've never preached these verses, okay? And also, as I read this this week, um, my intention actually was to fly over these verses. I was not going to preach them. I was going to tag them along with the resurrection, 
Okay? And as I study this, I've got a website I like to go to that, that has a lot of different pastors on it. It has a lot of commentaries in it, and so I can do a lot of studying. And so I, I, I look at different pastors, and they actually have their preaching calendars in there. And, and, and so for the book of John, you know, there's probably about 35 pastors that I can look at. And John MacArthur's on there and a lot of different other guys. But here's what you'll notice in a lot of pastors. They skip these. You look at their preaching calendar, and these verses are not even in their preaching calendar. Or they'll tag them with the resurrection. Because you look at them, you're like, there's nothing there. I was going to do that. I, I was just going to tag them along with the resurrection, skip, read through them real quick, and go to the, the meat and the potatoes of this whole thing, the resurrection. But as I read through these four verses, I couldn't go on. Because I read it and went, there's some stuff in here. Because what we see are two guys who get the flyover, two guys who um, weren't part of the 12 disciples, two guys who weren't even part of the crowd of Jesus, two guys who were actually religious leaders who part of a group of people who wanted to kill Jesus. But there they are. At the cross, doing a job. And what I want to look at is these guys, their commitment to Jesus. That they just didn't show up at the crucifixion one day. These guys had already committed themselves to Christ, and this is where it ended up. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at how these guys were committed to Christ. And I want to look at how... Their commitment to Jesus can affect us. Because how many of you know we, we hear, hey, be like Jesus? That's a tall order, isn't it? All right. A lot of people, you even, hey, we, let, we need to be more like Paul. Well, that's even a tall order. But Joseph and Nicodemus, two ordinary dudes who were religious leaders of Jewish, Jewish tradition, they came to know Christ at some time within three years. These guys are baby Christians, basically. That's, that's, a pretty, that's a standard I can go up against. So I want to take a look at how these guys were committed and how we can do the same. And so there, I believe there's three things that we can see here about their commitment to Christ and what we can learn from them. Here's the first thing about being committed. Stay committed to Jesus so you're prepared to be used. As a believer in Christ, we need to stay committed to Jesus so we can be prepared to be used. So I want to take a look at these two guys individually, then together. But let's first look at Joseph and, and, and look at a few things about Joseph himself. And so here's Joseph of, of Arimathea. Arimathea was a, a town, a small village about eight miles north of Jerusalem. That's where he was from. Notice it says, who was a disciple of Jesus. That word disciple means follower. It means someone who follows the teaching and, and, and instructions of another. All right? And, and Joseph just wasn't just some dude along the fringes. He was a follower. He, he, and we don't know much about Joseph here. Okay? The thing about Joseph is he's always, in, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's always connected right here. To, to the, the crucifixion. 
don't read about Joseph of Arimathea prior to the, the, the crucifixion. You don't read about Joseph of Arimathea anywhere else in Scripture. Only here at the cross. Okay, But the, here's the thing. We do know a little bit about who this guy was. In Matthew chapter 27, it says that he was a rich man. Okay, So he was very wealthy. In Mark chapter 15, it says that he was a, a respected member of the Jewish council or the Sanhedrin. He, he, was, a, he was a high-ranking official. The Sanhedrin was kind of like the lawyers of that time. All right, So he was a very intellectual man. He was a wealthy man. He was a highly respected man. In Luke chapter 23, it says that he was a good and righteous man. And that he did not give consent to the decision that was made to put Jesus to death. And he was looking forward to the kingdom of God coming. All right. So this guy was wealthy. He was intelligent. He was highly respected. He was a good guy, a righteous guy. And he was indignant about what they did to Jesus. All right. So, but we don't know when he became a follower of Jesus. There was a time between Jesus' ministry starting and Jesus' death on the cross, and those three, three and a half years, a very short window that this guy heard Jesus teach something. This guy saw Jesus do something. And this guy, remember, he's a religious leader. He, he's part of this Sanhedrin, this council, so he would have known what the Old Testament would have said. I'm thinking Joseph, being an intellectual man, being a religious man, a righteous man, he went back to the Old Testament scriptures and he started reading and he started connecting dots and he started seeing what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was saying, and he was seeing what the Old Testament said and he put it together and he becomes a follower of Christ. He, at some point in that three-year window, made a decision to believe in Jesus Christ and who he was. And he becomes a disciple. He wasn't part of the 12. He wasn't part of it. He was just a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what it says, though. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. Now, in my study time, this is a very interesting, that word secret there. There's a, there's a debate as to what it means that, that, that Joseph was a secretly a, a, a disciple. A lot of commentaries paint the picture of that he was afraid to reveal himself as a believer in Jesus Christ. That he was afraid of the Jews, the religion, other religious leaders, so he didn't say anything. He, he kept it quiet. He, he, he just like, mm -mm, not me, man. I'm not saying anything. I disagree with that. And I agree with, some of you have heard me quote this guy before, the commentator Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe um, was a pastor for a long time in the early 1900s. He, he was the pastor of Moody Church for eight years in the 1970s. He, was, he, he died in 2019, but he was a renowned um, Bible teacher, commentator. He spoke at, I mean, very smart. And, what he, and, and so I agree with what Warren Wiersbe says about this word, secret. Because we got to remember, the New Testament was originally written in what language? Greek. Okay? We always got to remember that languages speak differently. All right? The New Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. 
New Testament originally written in Greek. And then, then the apostles wrote in Greek because that was the common language in first century Christianity. So Greek was the common language. They wrote the scriptures in Greek. And then they would have been translated again and again in Greek until the 300s when it was written in, in Latin. And I talked about that last week, the Latin Vulgate. Okay, At some time, even the, the Hebrew scriptures were written in Greek, which we understand that's called the Septuagint. And it's the Old Testament written in Greek. So that way the people in, who spoke Greek could even read the Old Testament. And then in the 300s, it was written in Latin. But in the 1300s, it was when the Greek language was first translated into what language you think? Into English. Okay? So when we translate from Greek to English, we see the word secret, secretly, and we view it as, I'm hiding it. But in the Greek, it means something different. And we need to understand that in, in languages, English can mean one thing, but in, in, in another language, it can mean another thing. What was the word that we were talking about? Mobile star? Okay, so in Spanish, Kim's from Guatemala, she understands and speaks Spanish. They use the word molestar to mean leave me alone. Don't bother me. You translate Spanish molestar into English, we get what word? Molest or molestation. That doesn't even come close to leave me alone. Okay? But in Spanish, it does. So in Greek, the Greek word for our English word secret is the Greek word crypto. And here's what it means. To be protected. To be kept in secret. So what this is saying, and, and, and the way Warren Wiersbe wrote it, he said, he goes, Joseph of Arimathea, because he was on the council of the Sanhedrin, he was a religious leader, he was kept by God as this religious leader, as God's secret agent. He was kept in secret. God protected him because... He wasn't afraid of the Jews. It was because of what the Jews would do. Let me explain. Look at your text. And here's why this is important. So Joseph was kept in secret as, a, as this highly respected Jewish leader. But look what he does. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. Remember who was Pilate? Roman governor. All right. Let me ask you, is any Joe bag of donuts off the street going to Pilate and asking for a meeting? Absolutely not. You're not walking down. You're not driving down to Springfield, walking into the Capitol building. Hey, can I see JB? They'd be like negative ghostwriter. That's not happening. The only way Joseph is able to go to Pilate is because of who he is. He is a highly respected council member of the Sanhedrin, of this religious council, that when he goes to Pilate, the Roman guards step aside. And he's able to walk into the council, into the chamber of Pilate, and go, can I have the body of Jesus? And Pilate's like, yes, you can. If Joseph 
earlier would have been found out that he was a, a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what would have happened to him? Kicked off. He wouldn't know, he would not, they would have ostracized him. They would have excommunicated him. And his position, gone. His influence, gone. His rank, gone. So guess what he wouldn't have been able to do? Walk up to Pilate and go, can I have the body? Because he would have just been an ordinary Joe bag of donuts. So what does God do? Keeps him in secret. Protects him. Watches over him. And then, when it's time, he's revealed. You see, that's who Joseph was. He was a secret. I love how that Warren Rearsby said he was a secret agent. Okay, he, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was Ethan Hunt of Mission Impossible. This is the first Mission Impossible movie right here. And so you have Joseph of Arimathea. But now look at verse 39. Here's the second, the second disciple is Nicodemus. It says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Remember, it says, who earlier came to Jesus. That's not like talking about three days earlier. That's talking three years earlier. you got to go back to John chapter 3. Okay, We read 20 chapters of John in, in three days. John is written over a three, three and a half year period. So Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a religious leader, comes to Jesus at night, okay? And he comes asking questions about, he's like, man, you've got to be somebody else because nobody can do what you're doing. And Jesus starts telling him about being born again, born of spirit and born of water. And Nicodemus is like, I, I don't know, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't understand. And Jesus kind of spanks him a little bit. Jesus looks at him, he's like, you're a teacher of the law? And you don't know what I'm talking about? He's basically saying, dude, you need to learn the scriptures. And I believe so after that conversation, we don't hear about Nicodemus again, except for one time when he's with the other council members, the other Pharisees, and they're starting to talk about killing Jesus. And Nicodemus is starting to defend Jesus. And the other Pharisees are like, who are you? Are you a follower of him? And here's what they read the scriptures and find out. I think from the time Jesus or Nicodemus left Jesus to him being chastised by his own Pharisees, he read the scriptures. He started, he was like, I got to be a student again. And I think he just presumed to know the scriptures. And I think Nicodemus opened up and he probably went to the book of Isaiah and he probably started reading it. And he starts seeing everything Isaiah wrote 700 years prior. And he's looking at the scriptures going, this is Jesus. He's writing about who I see right now. And some point between that night with Jesus and the cross, Nicodemus becomes a disciple of Christ. He places his faith in Christ. And so now you have these two guys right here together. And they are doing a job. They are now working together for a purpose. I, I, I look at what Joseph and, and Nicodemus is doing, and I, I, as I said, these guys, these guys didn't just show up here. 
These two guys were committed followers of Christ. So as I said that, I'm hoping maybe, and, and maybe, and maybe I just asked the question myself is, how do we know they were for, committed followers of Christ? Okay? I mean, we can kind of see the idea of them, that they became disciples, but how do we know they were fully committed? How do we know in this moment, man, they, they, were, they were all fired up and they, they, they were ready for this day. How do we know that? Because they were prepared. We got to think about, first, let's, let's look at Joseph. In the text, if you look at the text, verse, verse 41, it says, Now in the place where he was crucified, Jesus was crucified in, in, a, in a particular place. It was called the skull. And here, here's what we got to remember. The Romans crucified people pretty much in the same place. The place of execution took place for everybody at the same place. The skull just wasn't for Jesus. Anybody who was crucified in that time outside of Jerusalem was crucified on that place. All right? So where the skull was, where Jesus was crucified, it says there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there's this garden outside. It's kind of, kind of picture that in your mind. The place of crucifixion is going on. And there's a garden. What a contrast. And in this garden, there's a tomb. All right? Now, here's what we do know. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, it tells us that Joseph built this tomb out of rock. And he took the body of Jesus and it says that he laid it in his own tomb. Joseph owned this tomb. All right? Now, here's two things we need to understand about tombs in, in, in those days. Okay? We don't bury people in tombs here. We put them in the, the ground. Back in those days, one, you had to build the tomb out of rock. And that's what it says in Matthew. He built the tomb out of rock. All right? Now... Did they use excavators in those days? Negative. Did they use dynamite in those days? Negative. How would you, I mean, how were they building a tomb out of rock in those days? Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. Hammer and chisel, man. And, and, and when you get to the resurrection part, the tomb was big enough where they went down into it. Let me ask you, are you building a tomb that is big enough for people to walk into in three days? 30 days? A couple years? Probably. I am thinking when Joseph became a follower of Christ and he was secretly part of the crowd or the, of the, the, the Sanhedrin, He's listening to the conversations. And he's hearing, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to kill this guy. And I wonder if Joseph may have read Isaiah 53, verse 9, where it says that Jesus was crucified, where he died among the criminals, but was buried with the rich. Because Joseph was a rich man. And he was able to build his own tomb. And so I'm thinking, a couple years prior, Joseph goes, I'm going to build a tomb. 
But also notice again where it says it's at. The tomb is in a garden near the place of the crucifixion. Okay? Joseph already knew if Jesus dies, he's going to be crucified. He's understanding this. And there's only one place where crucifixion happens. By the skull. Now here's the thing. Here's why it's important to understand where he built this. Because most people built their tombs, where do you think? In the city. Okay? Especially rich people. You're going to want your family to be able to come and mourn close by. But what does Joseph do? Nope. I'm going to build my tomb where everybody's going to die. And I want my family to go visit me while they're hearing people scream being crucified. How many of you would build your gravesite near something like that? But he did. And I think it's because he knew this is where Jesus is going to die, and I'm going to be ready for it. And I'm going to be so committed, I'm going to prepare a tomb for him. And when he dies, there was a tomb in which no one had been laid in before. Jesus died with the criminals but he would be laid in a rich man's tomb. Same with Nicodemus, okay? Nicodemus just didn't show up and went, wow, it's the crucifixion. We we need some spices. He had 75 pounds of spices. It's not like he dug in his pocket and went, well, I got a little bit. How many of you go grocery shopping and you get like eight bags of groceries? And you try to, like me, I, I try to carry all of them in. I don't like making multi-trips. So I grab four bags here. Four, and I'm like, man, these are heavy. 75 pounds of spices and aloe. You're not just carrying it in a little knapsack. You're carrying that probably in multiple bags. I don't know how he would have carried it back then. But it was a lot. And, and, and got to re- also remember, at this time of Jesus' crucifixion, what holiday was going on with the Jews? Passover, and he was crucified on a Friday afternoon. And you remember last week I said they broke the legs because of a day that was about to take place. What day was that? The Sabbath. So during Passover and preparing for Sabbath, the way all the people who would have been merchants, guess what they're doing? Shutting everything down because you didn't work on the Sabbath. And, and you, 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 you prepared for the pa- Everything was about the Passover and the Sabbath. So Joseph wasn't walking up to some merchant an hour before the crucifixion going, dude, I need 75 pounds of this, 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 and this. What do you have? It wasn't happening. So you got to ask yourself, when would he have gotten it? Days, weeks prior? Buying it, storing it, buying it, storing it? Because he knew. And the thing is, Joseph (laughs) Joseph and Nicodemus... We're in cahoots because it says they took the body. We don't know when Joseph became a believer. We don't know when Nicodemus became a believer. But there was a time when these two religious leaders were talking. And they, one of them said to each other, I'm a follower of Christ. And the other one went, so am I. I've been hiding this thing, man. It's driving me crazy. I'm... And they started talking. I mean, all you got to do is just read this. I'm not, I'm not implying anything. They were talking, and, and Joseph's like, dude, I got an idea. 
let's get ready. And I, I sit and go, did they read the scriptures together? And they start seeing things and like, man, this is going to happen. And Joseph's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a tomb. I'm going to buy a plot of, of ground and I'm going to build a tomb. And then I'll go talk to Pilate. You get all, the, and Nicodemus is probably like, I'll get the spices and we will anoint his body and bury it in your tomb. And it took place. These guys were committed followers of Christ. And the reason why we know is because they were prepared. They were ready to be used by God. And in that moment, when it was time to get ready and get busy, they were able to step right in. The tomb was ready. Joseph goes to Pilate. Nicodemus has all the, all the spices. And boom, ministry's being done. Fast forward 2,000 years. It is no different for you and me. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, guess what we need to be? Committed. Committed and ready and prepared for God to use me. Because you don't know when an opportunity of ministry is going to happen. Okay, so when I'm a committed follower of Christ and I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm, for, I'm, I'm here for you, man. I'm, I'm here for you, Jesus. It's not about me. So whatever you want. And when an opportunity of ministry opens up, boom, you fit right in. And we've seen that happen when we needed people to step up for ministry for children's ministry. And we put that out there. Some of you are like, okay, here we go. And you stepped right into it. Why? Because you are a committed follower of Christ, prepared and ready. A committed follower of Christ, as 1 Peter 3 says, is ready to give an answer when people ask you, what's the hope and why do you have the hope that you have? Peter says, you're prepared for that. Well, how do you prepare for something like that? Because you're a committed follower of Christ and you have already got your testimony ready. You already know what the scriptures say about Jesus. And when somebody asks you, when, an, when God opens a door for you to witness to somebody, you're not a standing there like a cow staring at a new gate going, I don't know. But you've committed yourself to Christ. You're prepared. And so when someone asks you a question, you're able to give them an answer. It's being committed. Now, here's the thing we, you and I need to understand about this idea of being a committed follower of Christ. Just because you label yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're committed. Now, I'm going to let that sink for a second. This is, going to, this is the hard part now. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but they are not committed Christians. Just like in Jesus' day, when Jesus was doing his ministry, there were two types of people. The crowd and the committed. The crowd was casual. The crowd was just around for what Jesus could give them. Hey, we get a free meal today, some fish and some bread. Oh, I'm all about that. I'm all about Jesus then. Oh, Jesus is healing people. I want to get in that healing line because, man, I, I, I've got a bad toe. I need to get that thing healed. People loved Jesus for what he could give them. But the moment Jesus drove the dagger deep and he hit the nail head hard and he started challenging people, He's like, I, I want you to move from the casual. Let's become the committed. And that's when people are like, well, forget that. I'm out of here. I, I don't want that committed stuff. I love the casual stuff. I just want to be part of the crowd. It is no different in churches. 
Every church across America and across this world has the same group of people. The crowd and the committed. There are people sitting in churches who love being part of the crowd. I just want to be here for what this church can give me. Man, I, I love that, that children's ministry because my kids have something to go to. I love that worship ministry because, man, I just get, it just makes me feel good. I love, that, 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 I love how they, they serve me that coffee. I love, I love everything the church does for me, but I don't do anything for it. And the moment you challenge the casual crowd in a church is when ruffles start to get feathered. Feathers start to get ruffled. As soon as I said that, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I had to lighten, had to lighten up the, the mood a little bit. But they, their feathers get ruffled. And that's when people will leave a church. Because they only want what the church can give them. And the moment the church wants them to give, as John F. Kennedy said, don't just merely ask what your church can give to you, but give, but find out what you can give to your church. He didn't say it that way, but. But people will leave a church looking for another church so they can just be part of the crowd. Jesus doesn't want the crowd. He wants committed. And the reality is commitment, my commitment to Christ, changes everything about me. It changes how I live, decisions I make, things I do for Christ. Because when I'm committed to him, not to the church, not to the pastor, not to the leadership, not to my friends. I'm committed to Christ. And when I'm committed to him, it's about him. And when I'm committed to Christ, I'm prepared. Because I don't know when an opportunity is going to open up. And when God opens the door, I want to be able to step into it and do it for him. So, the committed... Those who are committed to Jesus are prepared to be used by Jesus. Here's the second thing we see with these guys. Stay committed to Jesus despite who's around. Stay committed to Jesus despite who is around. Now, we know from John and the other Gospels, there were people of all kinds at the cross right now. There were people who were just passing by. And they were jeering Jesus. They were like, oh, they, we've heard about this guy. He, he, he claims to save people, but he can't save himself. And they would walk by and go into the city. There were bystanders, people who would walk by, and then they would stop and, and stare. And, and they were mocking Jesus. And then there were the Roman soldiers doing their job. But then there was another group of people. What was the fourth group of people there? Religious leaders. The Pharisees. The chief priests. The elders, okay? They were there, and they were mocking Jesus. Now you have Joseph, a highly respected council member, and Nicodemus, a Pharisee, about to come out. And they, because look what it says. Look at verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices as the burial customs of the Jews. They took the body. They didn't hang out at the tomb and say, hey, Roman soldiers, could you bring it to us? The Roman soldiers would have taken it down, and guess what they did? They took 
the body. So you got to ask yourself, the moment they made that decision, we're going to take the body, we're going to bury it, we're going to do we're going to... Two religious leaders are now looking around. And who are they seeing? The people who they've done business with for the past three years or even longer. They're looking at all the other religious leaders. There's Nicodemus. He's looking over at Joe going, oh, man, what's Joe going to say? There's, there's Joseph looking at, you know, Bob over there going, oh, what's Bob going to say? The moment I take that body, they're going to look at us going, what in the world are you guys doing? They're going to look at me. Joseph's going to be like, they didn't have a clue who I was. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of moments, Joseph, who had been quiet, protected secretly from these guys finding out who he was, in a moment's time, all of his buddies are now looking at him. And they're all going, what in the world? Are you one of them? Are you one of his followers? Are you kidding me? Nicodemus, who came to Jesus in the dark, is now open in the light. Nicodemus, who, 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 like a rat, scurried in the dark, is now claiming in the light. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't care. Neither one of them are ashamed of who is around. They're like, we've got a job to do. We've been preparing for this. We're committed followers of Christ. Let's get his body and let's put it in the tomb. They didn't care. They didn't care who was around. Let's just, don't answer me, but let's just be honest with ourselves. Isn't it easier just to go with the crowd when it comes to us being Christians? Isn't it easier just to be quiet? I mean, we've got friends. We got coworkers. We got family members. I mean, I like the fact that when I go to work, people like me. I like the fact that I get along with my family. I like the fact that I have friends that I've had since high school. Man, if I say something, if I say that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, they're going to look at me different. But here's the thing. Keeping quiet, not saying anything, not ruffling feathers, that's the easy road. That's the I don't want to make waves road. That is the non-committal road. And the reality is, is if I truly am a believer in Jesus Christ, if I truly am a committed follower of Christ, if I know Jesus has come into my life and I know that he has saved me, I know that he has changed my life, then here is the outflow of that. I become a committed talker of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter who's around me. I'm at work and, and an opportunity comes up for me to share my faith with someone. Guess what I'm doing? I'm going to share my faith with them. If I'm in a family reunion and, and all of a sudden I have an opportunity to talk to my brother about Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm talking to my brother about Jesus Christ. If I have friends that I've been friends for the past 30 years and I've never witnessed to them and an opportunity arises that I can share my faith, guess what I do as a committed follower of Christ? I share my faith. Why? Because that's what we do. If God opens up a door for us, then a committed follower of Christ says, I'm going to walk through it. And we don't care who's around. We don't care if my best friend for 30 years now doesn't, doesn't want to hear that. 
or my coworkers don't want to hear it. My family members don't want to hear it. What I do is it doesn't mean we take the Bible and we smack people up with the head with it. It doesn't mean we get rude. It doesn't mean we just throw truth down there. No, no, no. We speak truth in love. We love people, but we got to be able to tell people, Jesus died for us. We're all sinners. We're all separated. We're all, we're all destined to be separated. But Jesus died for us to take us from the darkness into his light. Do you know him? Sometimes that's a hard, that's a hard road to go because sometimes that's a road that you walk by yourself. But as a committed follower of Christ, just like these two guys, you got to look at who's around and go, doesn't matter. As a committed follower of Christ, because of what he's done to me, I'm going to share that with other people. And then lastly, the last thing we see about these guys is this. Stay committed to Jesus, even though it may cost me something. I have to stay committed to Jesus, even though it may cost me something. So these two men have now just publicly made known to everyone around them that they are disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Throw out some answers for me, but let me ask you, what do you think in that moment, what, what, what cost them? What's something they lost probably because of their proclamation of what they did? What do you think? Ooh, wow, you guys, okay, one at a time, what do you... Wow, you guys just, I, I'm in my hair, here's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are saying. Okay, real loud, say one thing. Respect. respect. There we go. There's one. They've lost respect. Reputation. They've lost their rep- reputation. What else? Status. They've lost their status. They lost their religion. They lost their friends. Positions. popularity. They're going to be hated. Money. I mean, we don't know how much it costs to, to build a, a tomb out of stone. 75 pounds of, of spices probably cost Nicodemus quite a bit of money. But they lost all that. That's what it cost them to do this. Okay, And I believe they didn't go in there with their heads stuck in the sand. They knew what they would lose. But they did it anyway. Because as Paul says, everything that I have gained in this life, and Paul was intelligent, he had position, he had prominence, he, Paul had it all. And Paul was like, you know what, everything that I've gained because of everything that this life brought me is nothing. And I've lost it all compared to what I have in Christ. In fact, he uses the word rubbish um, which is a very polite word for trash, but even more polite, crap. I mean, we don't, but that's what it means. Paul's like, this is just a bunch of nonsense compared to what I have in Christ. So if I lost something, it doesn't matter because what I'm going to gain one day. As a committed follower of Christ, it will cost you. Being a casual Christian, it doesn't cost you anything. Because when we're casual Christians, we're just showing up and going along for the ride. But as a committed follower of Christ, it's going to cost you money. 
Because guess what happens? You start to realize and you start to see, you know what? I should tithe. I should give because the Bible teaches me that. It's, it's going to cost you time. Because all of a sudden, as a committed follower of Christ, you're going to realize, I need to be serving. I, I need to be serving on a Sunday morning. I need to be serving somewhere. I need to be doing something for Christ. Being a committed, committed follower of Christ, you're going to realize also something. It's going to cost you relationships. Because there will be people that you talk to and the Bible makes it very clear that people will hate you because of Christ. They will want nothing to do with you. There will be people in your life that you've been best friends with for 30 years or even longer. And the moment you try to share your faith with them, they're going to look at you. And then all of a sudden you're going to be like, man, why don't they ever want to hang out anymore? I call them up and they're busy all the time now and they don't want to do it because they just, you're foreign to them. When you write that first tithe check, you're going to realize, holy cow, this is huge. This is hard. You're going to, you're going to serve in ministry, and then you're going to have like, i got to get to church early. I can't just show up at 5 after 10. i got to actually show up. And That's why the Bible, Jesus says this, before you follow me, count the cost. Churches that sit there and tell people, oh, no, you, you come to know Jesus, life's going to be great. And Jesus, it's easy. No, it's not. Being a committed follower of Christ is hard. It's laborsome. It's costly. But the reward is awesome. And so my challenge to you today is this. To look at yourself and ask, who are you? What, what camp are you in? Are you in the casual crowd camp or the committed camp? If you're in the committed camp, don't get cozy. Keep pressing. Keep asking, Jesus, what do you want more from me? Because when we're committed, and I find myself doing this, we look at, I'm doing okay. And we can become comfortable and satisfied with okay. When God may have you a little deeper level, God may have a different ministry for you. God may have someone harder to talk to on the radar. So don't get comfortable if you're committed. But if you're in the casual crowd, my challenge to you is get out of the casual crowd. Don't, don't treat church for what we can give you. Start looking at the church of going, what can I give to it? You see, the way you are committed to Christ is being committed to the church. Because as Paul says in Colossians, that Jesus is the, or yeah, in the book of Colossians, that Jesus is the head of his body. And the body is what? The church. So the way you and I are committed to Christ, who is the head, is committed to his body, the church. So if you are in the casual crowd and you're just showing up and you enjoy the worship, you're like, wow, I love projector. Those words look great. That's awesome. You love that, hey, Ron serves you coffee every single week. Man, Ron does a great job with them. They're bagels. I love those things. Those are awesome. You come in here and you're like, you pick up your kids and you're like, wow, my kids learned something great today. 
Listen, those are all great things, but if all you're doing is sitting and soaking and leaving, you need to move. Because staying in the casual crowd is a danger area. Because I'm telling you, there are going to be people, as Jesus says, many will come to me and say, I, I, I was this or that. And Jesus is going to look at many, many people and go, I never knew you. Because there's a lot of people who are going to just stay in the casual crowd boat and sail along into the by and by. And they're going to miss it. Don't be that person. Now I'm not talking you got to jump in the, the whole deep end of the pool and get fired up and go, okay, i got to do all kinds. Take one step into the deep end and start for something. Start giving financially. Start in a ministry. Start just doing something. And then as God opens more opportunities, start stepping into them. Let's move from the casual, from the crowd, to the committed. Why don't we all stand and let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and worship you today. Father, we thank you for these few little verses. And unfortunately, Lord, it's sad that they are so flown over so many times. But Lord, I thank you for the truth of those verses. I thank you for Nicodemus and Joseph. And Lord, one day we're going to meet them. Lord, one day we're going to be able to talk to them about what they did um, on that day. Father, I thank you for their commitment to Jesus. I thank you for what they um, took the risk of doing. Help us to learn from these two men, just two average guys who were just committed to Jesus. Help us to be that way. Help us, the Lord God, if we are here today and we're just part of the casual crowd, help us to move to the committed and help all of us who feel that we are part of the committed crowd to not be comfortable, but to keep moving and pressing and saying, Father, what do you have for me? Lord, we're grateful for this house. We're just grateful for these. I'm grateful for the, these people, Lord. I'm thankful as Paul prays. I am thankful for them, for their faith in you, for what they do. Lord, I'm so grateful. But Lord, help us to always keep pressing more into you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.